0: Well, if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1 Luke chapter 1 and uh, reading from verse 26 And it is a joy to be with you again today And uh, a great privilege to look at this uh, passage of scripture Where uh, the angel Gabriel announces to Mary that she's going to have Uh, a baby so Luke chapter 1 verse 26 in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled and saying, at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel then departed from her. Just a prayer. Lord, we ask that as we ponder this passage of Scripture together that you'll come and speak to us and uh, minister to us. The truth is, Lord, we want to hear more than just the drone of a preacher's voice. We need you to speak to us and we need you, Lord, to come and encourage us and inspire us and challenge us and Uh, illumine our minds and instruct us and ground us further we pray in the things of your word and of your truth so we pray for that Lord humbly uh, but boldly in the name of our saviour we pray amen well as you think about your life as I think about my life I remember all kinds of big events that took place I can't quite remember the day that I started school. Some of you might be able to remember that. I do remember the day I left school, uh, for whatever reason. I remember the day that uh, I got married. I remember... Uh, the day that my wife told me that uh, sh- we were expecting our first baby. I can remember the birth of all of our children, and we have five of them. And uh, those are some of the big days I, that, that I can remember over the course of my life. I can remember moving to Canada. I can remember uh, the day that we left flew out of Dublin as it was uh, as it so happened so I remember the day that we we left for Canada and remembered arriving on the other side wondering what in the world have I done so we we all have got big events in our lives that we can can remember. I was beginning to think a little bit about 2019 and wondered what will 2019 be remembered for Um, maybe some will remember it as the year that Notre Dame Cathedral uh, was burnt down on the 15th of April. Some people jubilantly might remember it as the year that Theresa May stood down, and others might be jubilant or completely despondent when they remember it it as the year that Boris Johnson became the Prime Minister. You'll have to figure that out for yourself, I guess. Some will remember it as a year of Brexit chaos. Some will remember 2019, no doubt, for other reasons, more somber reasons. Some might remember it as the year uh, that Usman Khan killed two people on London Bridge. I don't quite quite know why uh, and what will be remembered in 2019. However, what I am convinced of is that this event that we've read about here in Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38 is an event that Mary would never, ever forget for the rest of her life. And uh, she tells Luke, no doubt, the story uh, of how an angel appeared to her and told her that she was going to be the vehicle through whom the God of eternity would step into history. Uh, She was just a teenaged, unmarried girl, and what an amazing privilege that she was going to be given. This, of course, was not the first announcement, not even the first announcement in the book of Luke. If you read the earlier verses, you will see that uh, although heaven had been silent for around 400 years from the closing of the Old Testament... That silence had been broken uh, when uh, an angel appeared to the elderly priest Zachariah and told him that he and his wife Elizabeth were going to have a baby. And of course, uh, that child would prepare the way for the coming of the Son of God, the one promised throughout the Old Testament. Uh, That baby that Zachariah and Elizabeth would have would become the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare Ye, the way of the Lord. And so here we see that uh, God kept alive the promise that He made way back in the book of Genesis. Almost immediately after the fall, uh, God said that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. And here we see that that promise that was made all of those many years ago was still being kept alive. And here it is now beginning to unfold in Luke uh, chapter 1. One day with the Lord is as a thousand years. And a thousand years is as one day. And God is in no rush uh, His calendar is very different from our calendar, but he does everything in its uh, season and he makes everything beautiful in its season. And here we see the angel Gabriel coming to announce the birth of the Savior to Mary. Now, we may wonder how did Luke know uh, uh, about these details and how did he know so, so many details about this uh, particular incident. And uh, he tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he researched, uh, he engaged in, in research and that he dug around and he uh, found out as much as he could before he wrote his, uh, his account for this chap called Theophilus, whoever he was. So he, he, we know at least that he visited Jerusalem. Uh, We know that he visited Jerusalem with the Apostle Paul. And so there's every reason to believe that he found out Mary and and that he interviewed her in the course of his research. And and so what we have here is is the account that Luke has come up with and which he probably received from Mary. Now, I want to lift three things out of this text for you uh, and with you. I want you first of all to notice just the choice that God made. (coughs) As he chooses a mother for his son, Um, sometimes she is referred to as the mother of God. I don't particularly like that term because although Jesus is God, uh, God is not Jesus. Because God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So Jesus is God. But God is not Jesus in the sense that uh, Jesus is all that there is of God because there is the Father and there is the Holy Spirit. And so she's the mother of Jesus and she is the mother of God in the sense that Jesus was divine. But I think you've got to be really careful with the terminology um, that that is used in in this regard. Uh, Be that as it it may, the three things are very simple. The choice that uh, God made. Secondly, a little bit about the child that was promised. And thirdly, um, a little bit about the commitment of Mary as she revealed it. So those are the three things that we're going to uh, camp on. Verse 26 says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy... God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin, pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now just a couple of things about this uh, little girl that was chosen. I want you to think about uh, first of all her circumstances because I as, a, as the nobody from nowhere that no one notices I find great encouragement just in the person that God chooses uh, to, to be the vehicle in, through whom his son would enter this world. And a little bit about her uh, contemplation uh, because I I'm I'm really struck by that, and I'm struck by that in contrast with the thing that troubled Zachariah, but uh, all of that in in good time. So first thing then, the choice, a little bit about Mary and her circumstances, in the sixth month uh, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, that is. The Lord sent the angel Gabriel to announce the birth of the Messiah to this virgin. Where did he go to, uh, this angel Gabriel sent from the courts of heaven, to announce to the, the, the mother of uh, this uh, would-be promised child? Where did he go? Well, he went to Galilee, which is interesting, and not to Judea in the south, the home of Jerusalem. It's interesting that he didn't go to Jerusalem with all of its history and with all of its rich heritage where the kings reigned and where many of the prophets ministered. It's interesting that he didn't go to the, the, the capital, Zion, the capital of Israel and the place where David had become king or the place at least that David um, had ruled as king. He went to Nazareth, a Galilean town. Where people had a thick accent, it would appear. A halfway stop for those who were making their way from the ports of Tyre and Sidon uh, into the interior of the country. A place that was overrun by Gentiles, it would seem, and Roman soldiers. A place where people were disdained. Remember in John chapter 1 verse 46, uh, Nathaniel asked the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It seems that it was an interesting place, but it was to this town that the angel Gabriel was sent. Gabriel wasn't sent to the temple courts or to the high priest's house or to any of the high priest's daughters. Neither did he go to any of the big synagogues, even the synagogues in Capernaum, respected holy places where religious people met. He went to a peasant house and an insignificant family. He didn't go to talk to the daughters of royalty. He didn't go to even talk to the daughters of Caiaphas, the high priest. No, he went to speak to a a young virgin girl. Difficult to know what age she was. Raymond Brown, a New Testament scholar, argues that she was maybe as young as 12 or 13. I- I'm less convinced by that. Uh, we don't know her age. We're not told her age. And we ought not to guess her age. And she may have been older than, than the other girls that were b- normally betrothed to husbands at such a young age. The truth is we don't know what age she was. A young girl who would marry humbly, no doubt. She would marry the village carpenter. She would give birth to numerous children. And would probably never travel beyond the borders of her village except to visit the the temple in Jerusalem. That's the person that he went to, Gabriel, as he went to announce the birth of this great promised child. Yet it was in this village... And to this insignificant girl chosen by God for the most remarkable task imaginable that uh, Gabriel went. This girl was chosen to become the mother of Jesus. Now, uh, that encourages me. And I don't know if it encourages you, but it encourages me because I am the nobody from nowhere that no one ever noticed. A little boy from a broken home further down the east coast of Scotland in the middle of a housing estate. And yet God in his infinite mercy breaks into my family, breaks into my life. And then unbelievably one day decides to call me into Christian ministry. And it's a great miracle of grace, isn't it? A great miracle of grace. And you might be here and think, well, you know, God is only interested in really important people, well-to-do people who live in nice big houses. No, no, no. God is interested in you. Whoever you are. Whatever your circumstances. And if the Christmas story tells us anything, it tells us that Jesus is interested, God is interested in insignificant people. The first people to be told about from Mary about the birth of the Saviour were shepherds living out on the hills, despised testimony disregarded in court, unholy men because they never got to the temple or to the synagogue, yet they were the first people to hear about the birth of the Saviour because God is interested in the poor and the despised and the forsaken and the nobodies of this world and he chose one of them, a peasant girl to be the mother of of his beloved son well here's the second thing uh, that I want you to think about it's her contemplation the angel greeted Mary with the words rejoice highly favored one the Lord is with you and blessed are you among women now uh, there are two sources of encouragement for this little peasant girl first of all she's the highly favored one and she is highly favored out of the Probably millions, and I don't know how many were alive in the world at that point in history, but out of the millions that lived on the face of the earth, it was this girl, this humble girl that was chosen to be the mother of God's son. She was highly, highly favored. I'm not sure if that that I fully understand uh, the genetic connection between Mary and her son and the mystery of her conceiving by the movement of the Holy Spirit. But whatever that connection was in its fullness, uh, she was his mother. So she was highly, highly favored. And she was most blessed among women. She was privileged beyond her wildest imaginations. She would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. This must have been every Jewish girl's dream, that they would become the mother of this child that was promised throughout the pages of the Old Testament. And then she's told, the Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. She would need the Lord to be with her. Because this was not going to be an easy task. There would be scorn to bear. There would be all kinds of misunderstanding. There would be physical pain, obviously, in the process of childbirth. But much more than that, there would be emotional pain. As she watched this child grow and be misunderstood by everyone that encountered him. At least many who encountered him. As she stood at the cross and watched him being crucified. Who will know the pain that this woman felt having given birth to this child. But God would be with her in the task that she was now being entrusted with. And that's all she needed to know. She didn't need to go on a parenting course All she needed to know is that God would be with her because that would make the fundamental difference uh, in her life and in her future. And God's presence in the lives of his people have made a huge difference. The Lord was with Joseph when he found himself in a dungeon and we're told that right there in the dungeon he prospered. The Lord was with Moses. That's what God said to him as he met him at the burning bush. I'll go with you back to Egypt. And Moses started to say, well I can't even speak. And God says, but I'll go with you. The Lord was with Joshua when he was called to the task of replacing Moses. The Lord would be with the disciples as they would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And here Mary's told that the Lord would be with her and that the Lord was with her. And in verse 29, we're told that Mary was troubled at the greeting of the angel. Now, when Zechariah saw the angel, he was just absolutely dumbfounded. He was struck down with fearfulness. But here we see that Mary's not so much troubled at the appearance of an angel. And I doubt that she'd ever seen an angel before. I, I doubt that it was an everyday occurrence in her life that just angels showed up and talked to her. But she's not troubled so much by the appearance of the angel. Whether he looked fairly normal, whether he looked had the appearance of another being, human being, is difficult to say. He's not, but she's not troubled so much by the appearance. She struggles, she struggles with the greeting of the angel. Uh, she wonders what kind of a greeting is this. The Lord is with you. You're highly favored, blessed among women. She can't make head nor tail of it. And she's a thinker, this little girl, this peasant girl living in Nazareth. She may never have gone to rabbinical school. She may not be able to read or write. But she's a real thinker, this girl. She's reflective. And that can be seen not least in her Magnificat, which will come uh, just shortly in, in, in Luke's story. So she's troubled about the greeting. As she thinks it through, she wonders what's involved in this. There's something to this. There's there's more to come. There's stuff to follow. I mean, how am I favoured amongst women? And how am I so blessed? And she starts to really think it all through. She felt a sense of responsibility, I think. I think she feels a sense of privilege. I think she feels a sense of fearfulness. As she thinks about the greeting of the angel. Some people think you can't be spiritual and thoughtful when you're a teenager. Yes you can. The Bible tells the story of lots of spiritual and thoughtful and reflective teenagers. Not least Joseph. Or Daniel. And here's another example of a teenager. Who's thoughtful and spiritual. And uh, is engaging this messenger sent from heaven. Well, here's a second thing that I want you to think about. It's the child that was promised. The child that was promised. Two things about this child. First of all, uh, the description that's given to us. And then a little bit about his divine origins. But first of all, look at the way the child is described. So his name is given to us. His name will be Jesus. Now Luke doesn't give us the reason why the child is to be called Jesus. just says that his name will be called Jesus. Of course Matthew uh, is a little bit more uh, transparent. Not transparent, a little bit. He takes time to explain to us why this child should be called Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. And of course uh, the name Jesus, Yeshua, is linked to the Old Testament Hebrew name Joshua. Which means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh saves if you will and this child that Mary is going to give uh, birth to is uh, he is going to be called Jesus because that will be his primary focus and task to save his people from their sins because that will be their greatest need your greatest need is not to get a better job And may be helpful to get a better job. It's not to live in a bigger house. And it may be helpful to have more room. But your greatest need is to have your sins forgiven. And to be reconciled to the God that you were created to know. That's your greatest need. And that was his primary function in coming. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve And to lay down his life a ransom for many. He came to buy us back from the bondage and slavery of sin and to set us free. Mary, this baby will be called Jesus that you're going to give birth to. Because he will be the Savior. His majesty, not just his name, but he'll be called Son of the Highest. the the title most high of course is a, a title that's given to God in the Old Testament Remember in Genesis 14, 18, we meet this character called Melchizedek and we don't know where he came from and we don't even know where he went to. A strange character that we meet, but we're told that he's a priest of the Most High God. When there's no one else worshipping Yahweh, this priest appears on the scene and he is serving the Most High God, Yahweh himself. Well, this child's not going to be a priest of the Most High God as much as he is going to be the son of the Most High high God and he himself will be uh, the most high so his majesty he will be uh, the son of God you see this child you look at this child in a manger at Christmas and and it's fine and you think about the donkeys and you think about the shepherds with the tea towels around their heads and and that's all fine But as long as we remember this, that the child in the manger is the son of the Most High, he will grow up and speak to the winds and the waves and they'll obey him. He will grow up and stand outside the tomb of a man who's been dead for four days and call him back to life. He will die on a cross and a centurion standing there who has watched a thousand crucifixions will say, That was the Son of God. He will come again from the grave himself as he picks up his life and lives in the power of an endless life. In fact, this baby lying in the manger will one day return in the clouds with glory and on his robe and on his thigh will be stamped the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So as we worship this Christmas and we think about the babe in the manger, let's remember he is the Son of the Most High. And what about then his throne? He will sit on the throne of his father David. 2 Samuel seven twelve to 14 of course you've got what's called the Davidic covenant where David was promised by God that he would be given a descendant who would build the temple but in the midst of that covenant that God make, made with David there's indications of a son that will come who will rule over his people and who will Who will rule eternally. Let let me read it to you. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. Who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father and he will be to me a son. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And so here we see that David is being promised a son that will rule on his throne, that will sit in his seat, that will rule over his people. And uh, we're, we're told that there will be no end to his kingdom. And that's the very thing that David was told, that there would be no end to his son's kingdom, that he would rule and reign forever. And then we start to think, well, how can that be true of this child? How can it be true of this child? Because the Jews are ruled over by the Romans. Uh, And during the earthly life of Jesus, he didn't rule over Israel. They were ruled over by the Romans and by sections of of Palestine were ruled over by some of the Herod's or some of the Herod's descendants. Or the the, the, the family tree of the Herod's. So how is this true? Surely it's true in the sense that Jesus comes to build a kingdom. And as people surrender to his kingship and his lordship, they become his citizens. And he rules in their hearts. And he starts to build a kingdom. And there will be no end to this kingdom. Because this kingdom that he has come to build will grow and grow and grow. Until one day you'll find members of it in every country throughout the world. And then he'll come again and he'll rule over his people for all eternity. Now, that isn't to say, of course, that there may not be a future for Israel. I don't want to get into a whole uh, fracas with you about that. But it is to say that somehow this has got to be tied up with Christ and his kingdom. The kingdom that he came to establish and the people over whom he will rule. And I'm absolutely convinced of that. And we as Gentiles have been grafted into this olive tree. God didn't plant another olive tree. He grafted us into this olive tree. And now we become somehow the people of God. And it may be that the natural branches will be grafted in at some future point. But now Christ rules over us as his people. Well, here's the second thing I want you to think about. I want you to think about the divine origins of her son. So, Mary wonders, well, how will this be? How is this even possible? I'm going to give birth to a son, and all of this will be true of him. He will sit on the throne of his father, David. There will be no end to his kingdom. He will be the son of the Most High. How can this possibly be? And she seems to sense that the angel's not talking about, oh, you and Joseph will have a son in the future, and he will be the Messiah. She seems to sense that right now, right now, this is going to unfold. So uh, the angel says to mary well well i 'll tell you how this will be. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy One will overshadow you, and the child that 's going to be born to you will be the Holy One. So the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Holy One will overshadow you. When did that happen?" I don't know the answer to that question. As Gabriel talked to her right there and then? Maybe? Maybe after Gabriel went it happened. How did she know it happened? Was she aware of it? Did she have any sense? or feeling that the spirit was moving upon her and that she had now conceived or was it something that she was completely oblivious of completely unconscious of it's something that happened unwittingly to her well who will ever know the answer to those questions this side of eternity all we know is that she, was, that she found herself expecting a baby having never been with a man the virgin birth I know that the virgin birth is a struggle for many people from a physical perspective. It's funny how it is one of the miracles that a lot of people struggle with. But no struggle with uh, Jesus raising Lazarus. No struggle really with Jesus feeding uh, the 5,000 men besides women, and children with the little boys lunch. So, So why are those possible? And this is not possible is my question. And why is it possible that Abraham and Sarah would have a child long after the age of being able to give birth physically? How is it God can enable them and that's okay, but the virgin births out of the question? Well, the the virgin birth is, is, is actually important for several reasons. And I'm just going to touch on them and then I'm going to move on. But here's one of the reasons it's important. It's important for the doctrine of Scripture. Because if you assault the doctrine of the virgin birth, you're going to have to tear out those verses that relate to the virgin birth. And therefore you're going to have to assault scripture. The second thing is that it's important to the divinity of Christ. It's really difficult to see how you could claim that Jesus was divine if he had both a human mother and a human father. Very difficult to see how he could then claim to be divine. And then thirdly, and I think more importantly, the importance of the virgin birth centers on the need for Christ to be sinless. If Jesus had a human father and a human mother, it's difficult to see how he could have avoided inheriting the guilt of Adam's sin and the sinful nature. But because the normal process is interrupted and he doesn't have an earthly father, he has divine origins He therefore is sinless and qualified to stand in our place at God's judgment bar and take the penalty that our sin deserved. And this is not, you know, some rogue member of the Trinity going to the cross. This is God. This is not God beating up on his son. This is God coming to earth to become our representative and to take the penalty that we deserved at the cross so that we could go free. That's what's happening in the virgin birth. And if you don't have Jesus as your Savior and you just ignore Jesus, I I want to ask you this one question. Where are you going to find someone to stand in your place? I can't help you. I've got my own sin to atone for. None of the leaders in this church can help you. There's no one on the face of the earth can take your place. The only person that can take your place is someone who's got no sin of their own to die for. No sin of their own to atone for. And the only person who's qualified in that capacity is Jesus. You can't afford to reject Jesus. He is the only way to the Father, the only means of reconciliation. And if you're not a Christian, I implore you, I plead with you, I beg you, this Christmas, become acquainted with Jesus. Well, here's the last thing, and with this I'll be finished. The commitment that she revealed, two things about Mary. Look at how she describes herself. Verse 38, Mary describes herself as the maidservant of the Lord bond servant you could translate that she's a bond servant she and it speaks of her attitude her she she has an attitude of service and And uh, submission, and she's the bond slave of her master. She's like the slave that's spoken about in the Old Testament who has served his master, has the right to go out free, but who willingly submits himself to the ongoing service of his master, doesn't want to go out free. That's how she describes herself, the maidservant, maidservant of the Lord. She had parents, of course she had a mum and a dad, although we're never told what her mum and dad's names were. She had parents, she was probably living with her parents. But this girl's first allegiance was to God. One day she will get married and she'll have a husband and his name will be Joseph. And no doubt she would try to be the best kind of wife that she could be. But first and foremost, she was the bond servant of God. And if anything Joseph asked her to do brought her into conflict with the wishes of this God that she had surrendered and submitted herself to, she wouldn't do it. Because her ultimate master was not Joseph, and it was not her parents, and it was not her king. Her ultimate master was the God that she loved and served. You see how she describes herself? The maidservant of the Lord. Sometimes you look at young people in particular and you see them, few of them at least, going in a slightly different direction from others. Marching to the beat of a different drum. Not doing all the things that other Christians do at work. Or that other non-Christians do in, in work or at university or at school. Why is that? Why are they different? Because they've got a different king. And they're marching to the beat of a different drum. And they've got a different lord. And they are ultimately bond servants, maid servants of God. And I, I ask you and I ask myself... Who is your king? Who rules your life? Speaking uh, to somebody recently, and I was just making this point, and they were asking me, is this right or is this wrong? And I feel that this is right, and I feel I want to do this, and I feel this is me, and I feel this is... And, And so the question needs to be asked, well then, who's Lord? Are you Lord of your life? Or is God Lord? And if God is Lord, then you'll have to do what God says. And you'll have to go in the direction that God wants you to go in. Because that's the big question. Who's Lord? This is a Lordship question. And Mary surrenders herself to the Lord. And then third, uh, secondly, just in, in relation to her, uh, to, to her commitment, uh, she, a little bit about her designation. She just describes herself as the Lord's maidservant. And then verse 38, you see a deep sense of submission. Let it be according to your word and we read that and we don't think much of it but I think we should stop and just ponder it for a few minutes a bit like her pondering all these things in her heart and uh, a bit like her contemplating the greeting of the angel let's just take a leaf out of her book and think about that for a minute I, I think it involves several things I think it must have she must have been overwhelmed with a sense of privilege let it be according to your word what a privilege what a privilege what a joy to be the mother of the messiah but what a sense of responsibility what an onerous task to be to be given to be asked to bring up the child that was promised by the prophets And she must have understood some theology. She must have understood that Moses promised that one day a prophet greater than him would come. And she must have known that that was looking forward to the Messiah. And now she's going to give birth to this prophet that would be greater than Moses. What a task to be the mother of this child. She must have understood that one day David's greater son would come and rule over his people and she must have had a sense that that's what was being spoken of here by the angel and she must have had a sense of overwhelming responsibility I mean the the task of being a parent is frightening I mean who would sign up to be a parent and and one day give an account to God for, for the way that you molded and shaped and influenced these little lives that were placed into your care what a task a frightening task But imagine being given the task of raising the Son of God. Huge responsibility. But there's a great sense of willingness. And this is not an easy call for Mary. She's been asked to walk a course that would leave her open to all kinds of false accusations. She was told that she was going to have a child, but she wouldn't be married. What would she say to her parents? How would she explain that to her mum and dad? And what was she going to say to her future husband? Because he knew that they had never been together. How would she explain this to him? This isn't the 21st century. This, This is the first century in a village similar to what you might see somewhere like Afghanistan. Where the elders run around the town with big boots slapping and battering anybody that steps out of line this is the kind of environment that she lives in and she says Lord let it be unto your servant let it be according to your word I'll do whatever it is you want me to do I'll take on the responsibility I I feel inadequate but I'll take it on I'm prepared to face the scorn and rejection of my community and who knows why Joseph took Mary down to Bethlehem when she was so near giving birth. Unbelievable act on, 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 her behalf, on his behalf. Was it to avoid the gossip of the local village people? But here she is and she says, Lord, let it be according to your word. And she surrenders herself and she does whatever it is the Lord wants her to do. And uh, the question for us as we wind up is, are we prepared to do that? Or what is it you want me to do? It might shock you to know that I struggle sometimes to do what God wants me to do. And to stay where God wants me to stay. And long somehow... That another door would open and a different direction would come along. And it's not always easy to stay where you feel God has set you down. And So the question is for all of us. Are you prepared to do what God wants you to do? Lord, let it be according to your word. It's your will, not my will. Your will that counts. And I'm prepared to surrender to it and, and just... Live my life to glorify you and do whatever it is you want me to do. Well, the three things we thought about were simple. The choice. Just a peasant girl. Not the high priest's daughter. Not the girl, not the daughter of Herod living in a palace. A peasant girl. But a deeply spiritual girl in my estimation. But nevertheless a hugely privileged and blessed girl. So we thought a little bit about the child... He'll reign on the throne of his father David. Be no end to his kingdom. He'll be the son of the Most High. What a child we remember at Christmas. And then finally, we thought a little bit about her commitment. This is a huge responsibility. And there will be huge cost involved. But she's prepared to do whatever God wants her to do. Is there anyone here prepared to say, Lord, whatever you want me to do? I will do. Here I am, your willing servant. May God help us, all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this uh, great story, this great Christmas story that we get to think about. Every year it comes around and you give us the opportunity to reflect and recall the condescension of Jesus as he steps out of glory and into human flesh. And lives amongst us despised and unesteemed. And eventually going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Help us to see and to savor Jesus more than ever before this Christmas. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.